You're listening to Tassie Encounters on Faith FM and we're coming to you live from Hobart, Tasmania, right across Australia. Each weekday at 9am you can hear what the Bible says about past, current and future events. You can learn how to study the Bible more effectively. You can get to know who God is, why we're here and where we're going. And you can experience personal encounters with Jesus. I'm your host, Jason Cook, and today we have Mark Falconer joining us back in the studio again. Welcome, Mark. Morning, Jason. Thanks very much. It's good to have you back here. A couple of weeks, I think, two weeks since we've had you here, so uh, it's good to have you back. Um, And today we're going to be talking about a topic uh, about church. Last week we also talked about church, or last time we had you on. Uh, This one is, I think last time was something like, uh, is Jesus really serious about growing the church? And uh, today we're asking the question: Did Jesus really want us to be serious? Want us to be serious about church? So uh, we'll get into that soon. But before we get into our discussion, I want to ask you um, a couple of questions. And I, I, when I travel, I often uh, admire the buildings that we, we that you see. That you know, I've done a little bit of travel to uh, Europe and. Uh, the USA recently, I always enjoy looking at the different architecture. And uh, it seems like every place has its buildings that it likes to show off. They sure do. And when people think of New York, they always think of, you know, the Empire State Building. Empire State Building. And that was the first building I wanted to see when I went to New York. And uh, it's a pretty small building compared to the large skyscrapers around today, but it's still one of those iconic buildings, isn't it? It is, for sure, yeah. And when you go to Rome, I always think of the Vatican Colosseum, and even though that the Colosseum is is very much a, a wreck in many ways, but it's a magnificent building yeah. uh, that would have been marvellous in its day, but 2,000 years old. And looks terrific. Yes, particularly the old buildings. And then you've got places like uh, uh, France, who've got the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Um, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, that's a building that many people go to see. You can't miss that one, can you? Yeah, I've, I haven't actually seen it, but um, not in person anyway, only on pictures. <laughs> oh, I've had the privilege of seeing it, and of course everybody likes to... Um, get the picture where their hands are against it as though they're looking as though they're holding it up. That's and, right, uh, yeah. yeah, it's marvellous. And, of course, you've got uh, the pyramids in Egypt. All, all around the world we see these buildings. It's, it seems as though um, man or mankind like to build things. We do. We love to build things. And uh, one of the questions I like to ask ourselves today is what are we building? Because mm. we all want to build something, don't we? And I don't mean that quite in such a literal sense, but, you know, each day when we get up, we are building something, and uh, whether it be a career, um, finance portfolio, a life. Even relationships. Even relationships, mm. yeah. We're all building something, yeah. Yeah. And I guess uh, the question is, what are we building on? What's the foundation for what we're building? And I guess we're going to talk a bit about that today. We sure are. And uh, foundations are incredibly important. And uh, But I want to take you to London uh, this morning where there's an interesting building. And in, in the uh, when we think of London, we think of iconic buildings like 
Big Ben and Westminster. Um, but this is a fairly new building, but you wouldn't quite put it in the iconic category. And um, th- this particular building is a... Uh, they've dubbed it the walkie-talkie building. And it's a, basically a square building, but it, it bulbs out. and it's Bul- at- Yeah, bulges at the top sort of thing. Yeah, it look, looks a little bit odd and it's mm. curved over. It's not particularly tall. It's only 38 storeys tall, but it has a lovely garden restaurant at the top where it's free to go and you can enjoy a meal at the top and build memories. Uh, I've been to London a few years ago and um, they certainly have some interesting looking buildings and I think I may have even seen this one that you're referring to. Yeah, look, it's it was completed in around about 2016 or uh, 2012 sorry yeah or somewhere around about then and um but it has a unique feature about the building that they didn't actually anticipate because the building is a little bit larger at the top than it is at the bottom the front of it is curved inwards and what they didn't anticipate and they did a uh, a solar architectural test on it prior to the building being uh, commissioned but what they didn't anticipate was for three weeks of the year for a couple of hours a day the sun would shine on the front of it and concentrate its rays and shine on the pavement like a magnifying glass exactly exactly and what would happen was the pavement would heat up and when people would go past it would heat up to well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit or well over 40 degrees centigrade. On some days, it even got hot enough to fry an egg. Mm. And uh, one poor bloke, he parked his car there and the side of it actually melted. Mm. Like uh, the mirror, I think uh, I saw a picture of that um, where the uh, the mirror on the side of the car was just all melted because they're made of plastic obviously yeah and they melted away and the poor bloke he had a european car an expensive car and even the uh the back pillar of the car had melted away and uh yeah it was a a, a terrible state of affairs and they had to abandon those car parks for though for that period of year and it even created this building created a huge downdraft that some people would blow away and so this uh, tower, which Londoners, many Londoners, really disliked, they even dubbed it the Fryscaper <laughs> <laughs> or the Walkie Scorchy. <laughs> Good old English. They're great with their sense of humour, aren't they? Mm, yeah, they didn't like that building, and so, yeah. So uh, you've got a couple of other examples of uh, buildings that weren't built so well. Yeah, look, there was another uh, tower in, in San Francisco, the Millennium Tower, and uh, you can look it up on the internet there, and this was the first skyscraper that was built in uh, um, in San Francisco for 20 years. So what what time period was it built in? Well, it was, um, it was commissioned and finished in 2009. Right, so fairly recent. Yeah, fairly mm-hmm. recent. So it was quite surprising, 20 years between skyscrapers, mm. quite a long time. Anyway, 58 stories, they're really proud of it, luxury tower, you can still buy um, apartments there for a paltry 3 million US, if you wish, And um, but when they um, built the tower, it was finished, the residents retained a geologist 
to make sure that the town was safe. Well, the geologists found in 216 that the town was leaning over a little bit more than anticipated. Now, every skyscraper is going to settle down a little bit, and they sunk the foundations in sand and clay, which doesn't really sound very secure, does it? Well, clay is always a problem, isn't it? Well, it is, and they said, well, that's how they do it in San Francisco. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I'm not sold on it myself, Mm. but anyway, they know better. (laughs) But as it was settling, the tower began to lean a bit more and then a bit more, and they thought, hmm, we've got a problem here. We've got a problem. So, look, it was leaning over one degree, which doesn't sound a real lot, does it? Um, but at the top of the tower, that's 28 inches. Mm. So um, at the Leaning Tower of Pisa, you mentioned that before, didn't you? Mm. That's le- that was leaning over at its peak of five and a half degrees. Wow. And they've had to they've had to do something to prevent it continuing, haven't they? Like- yeah, yeah. They, they uh, stuck some, uh, secured the foundations on one side and tilted it back up, yeah. back to four degrees. Four degrees, so it doesn't continue to fall over. Yeah, but, you know, the Leaning Tower of Pisa is only 143 feet high. This one's 656. And so leaning over one degree, that becomes a bit of a problem mm. because if it leans over too much, and it actually doesn't have a lot of time mm. because they're going to lose water because all the pipes and we're talking about waste water and... and um, it won't flow in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> no, and the pipes will go clink. Yeah. We're broken. Ah, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So leaning over too much. So they actually, they don't have much time. And so the interesting thing was when they started to shore up the foundations, it actually made it worse. Mm. <laughs> they go, whoops. So anyway, they got a, another idea and they put in three hundred micro um, steel rods, steel rods yeah. that went down to bedrock. So, mate, when it comes to a building, you've got to have the right foundation. Mm. And we've got to have the right foundation for our lives, and we've got to make sure that we build up our lives. Whatever we're building, we've got to have the right foundation. Mm. Well, we're going to come back and talk more about that soon. Remember, we've got our show number. This is the Tassie Encounters show number, 0488880891. That's the number for claiming our free book offers. If you've got any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you today. And we've got a question for you. Do you currently attend church? Why or why not? We'd love to hear from you. Text 0488880891. Do you currently attend church? Why or why not? This is The Church is One Foundation by Norton Hall Band. The church is one foundation Is Jesus Christ her Lord She is His new creation By water and the word From heaven he came and sought her To be his holy bride With his own blood he bought her And for her life he died From every name 
As the encounters on Faith FM, and today we are speaking with Mark Falconer on the topic of is Jesus really want us, or does Jesus really want us to be serious about church? And we asked you a question before the break: Do you currently attend church, and why or why not? We'd love to hear from you on zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one. So, Mark, uh, to set the context here, we're going to read some scripture. Uh, is there anything you want to say before we do that? A lot of people feel church is optional mm. these days. And uh, in order for us to build the right foundation, we need to be very clear what that foundation is. And God has ordained a church to be his agency to build up his kingdom. But how does that mesh with our idea of church being optional? Mm. So we're going to unpack that a little bit more today. Okay. Let's pray just before we uh, read the scripture. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be here today. Thank you we can have this discussion. And thank you we can open your word to gain wisdom and insight from you. We ask that you give us the correct understanding of this as we read today. In your name, amen. Amen. 
So we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 16 and uh, verse 13 to 18. And this is from the New American Standard Bible translation. It says, Now when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. He said to them, But who do you say yourselves say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barajona. I'm not sure how to say that one, Mark. Can you give me... <laughs> well, I think you did a pretty good job of that. <laughs> Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, uh, and I also say to you that you are Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Is this where Peter has a name change? Yeah, look, some, some believe that, yeah. but... The subject of all all of this was started off with a question when Jesus came to the um, Philippi uh, into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked the disciples, "Who do you, who do the people say that the Son of Man is?" And of course, you know they got various answers, mm-hmm. and then Peter uh, said this that you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Mm. So that was obviously an understanding that Jesus recognised was not of human understanding. Yes, he did, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And because then Jesus said, look, um, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Mm -hmm. And it was this rock that um, Jesus would build his church on that even hell and that even all of what Satan could throw at the church that would uh, come through. And, and that foundation of the church, the very foundation is Jesus Christ himself. So that's what I was going to ask, because you might interpret this as saying that Peter's the rock, but it's actually Jesus is the rock. <laughs> Jesus is the rock, yeah. And, and, and look, in Acts chapter 1, you know, they very at the very core of the church and the preaching of the church was the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of of Jesus Christ, and that was became absolutely critical. And so, with the death and the resurrection of Christ and Jesus being the Messiah, that became the foundation upon which the church was to be built. I can see there in the the last sentence there, and, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. In some other translations, they say the uh, the power of hell. I think, but we're talking about here the resurrection. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, and and the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. He said that I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I have come to save you. And the whole point of Jesus' mission was to come to save and deal with the issue of sin which had brought death to this world. And to show that he was the Messiah, he rose from the dead. And this is the foundation of the church And the church was God's agency by which he would build up his kingdom. Mm. So if we go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Let's have a read of that. It says, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one should act in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of and support of the truth. 
Okay, so what Paul says here to Timothy here is he talks about the church here Mm. um, and the church of the living God. Now, the living God, meaning that Jesus rose from the dead, he's still living, he's in heaven working on our behalf in the sanctuary. But it is also the pillar and the support of truth. So what's the function of the church here? To uh, to to share truth, number one. To share the truth, and it was also God's agency to, to help share that with other people mm. and to expand and to build up his kingdom. And, of course, you can't get away from that when you listen to Jesus' last words before he left, uh, before he ascended into heaven, which was to go and make disciples and teach them and baptise them. And, and how is that going to happen? Mm. I mean, if you don't have the church... If you don't have a group of people organised and uh, committed. I, I, exactly. And, and so the, the church, you know, the, the book of Acts depicts how the church grew and uh, and it was certainly God's agency to build up the kingdom and Acts records that. Revelation records the letters to the seven churches. And, and so what my point here is that the church is a very important part of what God uses to build up his church and it is biblical. Mm, absolutely. Now, some might say, well, can't I just be a Christian on my own or what I would call a solo Christian? Do you you remember the old ads in the 80s of the solo man drinking that can of solo drink? Oh, yes, there he was in the sunshine there, sweating. Well, I'm not talking about that sort of person. (laughs) I'm talking about can you be a solo Christian? Can you be an isolated or a, a Christian who really doesn't engage with church? Now, that is a question I get quite often. Mm. And people will say to me, I don't have to be a Christian um, to go to church. I can just be a Christian at home. Well, Christianity is much more than just a set of philosophical beliefs. You know, we it's not an ideological um, uh, religion in that sense. You know, um, the church is made up of God's people. And it is a very much of a biblical thing. It's called the body of Christ. And, and um, Paul depicts the church as some who are eyes and some who are legs, feet, mm. um, arms, hands. It was, and what Paul's illustration was that we're all part of that body. But people want to stay away from church because, you know, oh, the bunch of hypocrites, you know, they say this, they do something differently. And the mm. uh, funny thing is that... A lot of people outside the church know more about how they should behave than, you know. Uh, and and far too often that people set up their own moral standards that they themselves don't even live by. But that's not really the point. We often look for excuses to stay away from church. And uh, the hypocrisy one is the most common one. But... What we have to do at the end of the day, ask ourselves, what are we building? Mm. We're all building something, and we've got to have the right foundation. The church is biblical. God has called his church and set up his church. And at the end of the day, you have to say that the people in the New Testament weren't that easy to deal with either, were they? We all have issues. I think that's the thing, isn't it? We all have some sort of issues, and I guess when you get a group of people together, 
we're going to discover some of those issues when we try to work together for a common goal or a common purpose. And uh, sometimes we rub each other up the wrong way and we, um, you know, behave in ways that other people don't like. And so I guess in, in that context, if people say, oh, look, I'd rather not be involved in church because, you know, it's too hard. It's too hard to, 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 you know, there's too many people who act in ways that I don't like or they don't agree with my perspective. What do you say to those people? You know, what, what's the purpose of church in that context? It's when we find that when we rub shoulders with other people, we start to find out our own um, shortfallings as well. We always blame someone else. Well, you know, if they were like, if they were far better or if they were nicer, if they didn't do this or they didn't do that, it's in community that we are formed and changed mm. and we find out our shortfallings. In a way, the rough edges get sort of uh, sanded down, perhaps. <laughs> exactly. And uh, you can't do that when you're by yourself. Mm. Because let's face it, when we are in the shower and by ourselves and we think that we're an Andre Bocelli when we start to sing, we also think that how good we are, mm. how great we are. Mm. And that's not the case. So it's a lot easier to be... Uh, calm and patient when you're just on your own but uh, not so easy i guess it's the same with uh, relationships with married relationships it's it's challenging but it helps us to grow into more mature uh, people and in, in this case i guess more mature christians as well spiritually more mature um, remember our question do you currently attend a church why or why not we'd love to hear from you today text us in on zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one now a little bit later we're going to have a free book offer and that book offer is called christ's ambassadors we'll tell you a bit more about that um, in the next break or in the next section this is daryl sawyer called a christian could i be called a christian if everybody knew my secret thoughts and feelings and everything I do Could they see the likeness of Christ in me each day? Could they hear His gentle voice in every word I say? Could I be called a Christian? Everyone would know The places that I go to Would Jesus tell them so Could they hear His echo In every song I sing In my life is Jesus being seen In everything I want to be a Christian to live for Christ each day but wanting isn't quite enough when trouble comes my way two roads are before me but only one will do Jesus walks the narrow road I will walk it too could I be called a Christian If judged by what I read 
by all my recreations in every thought and deed. Could I be counted Christ-like as I now work and play, selfless and forgiving to others every I want to be a Christian To live for Christ each day But wanting isn't quite enough Trouble comes my way Two roads are before me But only one will do Jesus walks the narrow road I will walk it too Jesus walks the narrow road This program is made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. You're listening to Tassie Encounters on Faith FM. And today we're speaking with Mark Falconer and uh, we're continuing the series Encounters with Jesus and we're about to experience an encounter with Jesus where we're going to learn something about the church of the time when Jesus was here on walking this planet. Um, but the, the topic of today is does Jesus really want us to be serious about church? So... So, Mark, uh, where can we learn something about the church of the time when Jesus was here? A lot of people stay away from church because they see all the shortfallings. Mm. And when you look in the time of Jesus and the New Testament times, the church was far from perfect. And we have to realize that there is no perfect church mm. and we have to work with it. But in, in the time that Jesus came to the temple... This was during the time of the Passover. There's a very interesting passage in, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 to 17. Let's read it. It says, And Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all those who were selling and buying on the temple grounds. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And those who were blind and those who limped came to him in the temple area and he healed them. Do you want me to stop there? Yep. Yeah, yeah let's have a look at this. And so here Jesus enters the temple area and you know it says that he drove out those who were selling and buying in the temple grounds. Now, mm. now we, we don't sort of paid too much attention to the way in which he, he did that. Uh, this is the second time Jesus cleansed the temple. The first time in John, he used whipping cords. Yeah. 
It sounds awfully <laughs> violent, doesn't it? <laughs> a little bit dangerous to be around there. Oh, yeah. I guess people would have uh, moved quickly. Uh, and, and some people have trouble with the fact that Jesus showed violence at this time. I mm. thought Jesus was peace-loving. Mm. Why was Jesus so upset? That's the key question here. Yeah, it's an abst- from my understanding, and I think you've actually taught me this, Mark, it's because of the uh, obstruction to what the purpose of the temple was, and they were obstructing people from being able to come and freely worship there. Exactly right. Now, this was the, at the time of the Passover, and it's fascinating to know that at the time of the Passover, this was one of the times when uh, Jews and Gentiles from all around the Mediterranean would come and worship there. This was the time when they would come and encounter God. Mm. That was the where God dwelt was in the temple um, at, at this time here. And so you had three to 400,000 visitors. So you imagine how busy this place was. Mm. Now, this is sort of in the outer part of the temple. Yes, and, and so you're looking at the, the the temple itself. You had the holy place and the most holy place, and and then you that's as you're looking at the front door. Now, if you were to step back uh, uh, quite a few yards, or that you'll come into the Gentile area, and so in the Gentile area, you'll be looking at the front door of the temple. But this was sectioned off just for Gentiles, and it was in that area that all this buying and selling was happening. And, uh, and of course, that was preventing the Gentiles from actually coming and uh, experiencing worship in the way it was meant to be done. Yeah, that, that, that's right. Now, if we were to look at it from uh, the Jewish perspective, if you've got three or 400,000 people coming along there, everyone's got to buy a lamb or a dove, that was part of the sacrifice, you mm. know, they... The whole temple area was to deal with the issue of sin. Mm. It was about worship. And and so you had to buy and sell lambs and doves. And you had but that didn't have to be done right mm. where they were meant to be worshipping. Quite correct. Mm. It should have been done elsewhere mm. to allow the Gentiles to worship. Now, the whole function here of the temple and the Jewish nation that they were set up. So now we're looking at the big picture stuff here. Mm. The whole purpose was the Jewish nation being set up was to be a blessing to the other nations. Mm. And so it was important that the Gentiles were able to come. Exactly. Uh, otherwise, they themselves, in essence, I mean, this is sort of how it had, how it had become. The, the Jews had become very insular and, I, and almost isolating to the others. Exactly. And so they hated the Gentiles, and and so they don't care about them. Now, I want you to think about, just think about for a moment. Now, for all these people that were to come from all around the then-known world, this was to encounter God, this was about worship, but with three or 400,000 visitors there, we're talking about a lot of activity, aren't we? Mm. So... I sort of wonder what sort of people that you would need in order to keep all that going. You'd need cleaners. You'd need a lot of uh, a lot of people. <laughs> well, you need like, the water boys, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Carrying water. It's like any any uh, 
um, busy place. Like I'm, I'm thinking of something like a theatre where you've got people selling food and drinks and um, cleaners and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you've got mm. a whole lot there, haven't you? Mm. And, of course, then we can put in the church elders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the leaders, and then, but you've got the other people there. Well, all just to keep this going, and it would be a huge operation. Mm. Yeah. Just want you to think for a moment. If you were involved in in the temple area and you're either providing food or providing water or you're one of the leaders, there's an awful lot of religious activity going on there, isn't it? Mm. And if you're involved in all that religious activity, you'll start to think, well, I do my bit for the temple I do my bit. I am involved with the church. I am involved with the temple. Yep. So I must be okay. Yep. I'm I'm busy doing my bit. But and there was an awful lot of religious activity that was going on here, but not a whole lot of worship. Yeah. And this that key thing here. This is about worship. This is about dealing with the issue of sin. So when people would come there with the uh, sacrificing the lamb or the dove, and they were to deal with their own sin. But what attitude should they come with the sacrificial system that was set up? With what attitude? And I think David gives us a real important clue here. Mm. In Psalm 51, this is a, the classic psalm of David when he, I guess, repented from uh, his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. Uh, in these few verses, verse 15 to 17, it says, Lord, open my lips so that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. So this is what uh, God's really asking for, is a repentant and contrite heart. And that's the critical thing, isn't it? Mm. You see, you know, you, you can come, you can just go through the motions of sacrificing the lamb, the dove, and just go through those motions and think, well, I've done my bit. Mm. That's not what God wants. He wants a broken spirit and a contrite heart because he wants us to realize the cost of sin. Now, Jesus got really upset because that this was uh, the temple area was not a house of prayer. Mm. Remembering this is about worship Mm. here. Mm. We can go through the motions of coming to church each weekend, we can just go through the motions of, oh, yeah, here I am. I just stand up, sing, listen to the sermon. Some may fall asleep, <laughs> perish the thought. <laughs> not in your sermons, Mark. Oh, definitely not, definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> but what my point is that the heart's not in it. Mm. And what we need to do if we do come to church, sometimes we don't feel like we are connected, but if it's like that every week, then we know that we have a problem and we need to ask God to help us with that. And uh, But we also, more than that, we need to recognise the cost of sin, that it costs the life of Jesus Christ. He died for our sin, but he also rose again, mm. which is good news. And, and that's... 
I guess, a motivation, isn't it, for when we come to church. It's not... It's not just about what we're going to get out of it. It's not just uh, so that we can be entertained or that we can have a nice fuzzy feeling, but it's because we come in honour of him for what he's already done for us. You know, He has given the ultimate sacrifice for us. We should come with that attitude of uh, thanksgiving and worship and praise and um understanding, I guess, that cost of, of sin that, that we have contributed to. Absolutely. Mm. And he died that we might live. Mm. Mm. Well, our book offer, I promised a bit more information about it. It's called Christ's Ambassadors, and it's about reconciling former members to Christ. Where are your brothers and sisters who once worshipped in your church? Why are there those empty seats? What has happened to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Christ calls you to be a healer of wounds one who can build bridges and bring together divided hearts. He calls you and your church to be his ambassadors. So that's what this book's about. Are you ready to take up this exciting challenge? We're going to give you the code after the break for this book, uh, Christ's Ambassadors. But right now, this is Find Us Faithful by Christian Berdahl. On the journey of the narrow road And those who've gone before us line the way Cheering on the faithful Encouraging the weary Their lives a stirring testament To God's sustaining grace Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses Let us run the race not only for the prize But as those who've gone before us Let us leave to those behind us The heritage of faithfulness Passed on through godly love Become the light that leads them 
Powerful ending to that song, Find Us Faithful. You're listening to Tassie Encounters, and today we are finishing up our program with Mark Faulkner uh, on the series Encounters with Jesus. And we've just had this encounter with Jesus uh, in the temple. And uh, we'll come back to that in a moment. I did promise the book giveaway today, Christ's Ambassadors. We'd love to get you a copy of this book today. Text in Encounter 17, Encounter 17, no spaces. Text that in to 0488-880-891 and we can get you a copy of this book. We'd love you to be able to use that to help bring other people back to church who may have left for various reasons. Now, Mark, there was something in this passage we read earlier that I'd love to come back to. It was verse 14 that we read but we didn't really focus on. And uh, this is after he cleared the temple, after he turned the tables over, and I guess people had left. It says, And those who were blind and those who limped came to him in the temple area, and he healed them. Now, this is a fascinating uh, part of the story here. Remembering that this whole temple area was about encountering God. This was the place where people could come and meet God, quite literally. Mm. Uh, Because in the Old Testament times, you remember in Mount Sinai, that they could um, come and see the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God in the temple. They saw it in Solomon's temple, the Shekinah glory. So people came here expecting to meet God. Now, that is an important point for us here, and this is thrown in here at no extra charge. (laughs) But, you know, if you look at worship, when we come to worship and we expect to encounter God, we come to worship with our hearts and our mind. And so it's important, as we saw what David said, that we come with the right attitude and with a contrite heart. Now, remembering also that God is dealing with the issue of sin 
And the issue of sin makes us unclean. In the Old Testament, everything revolved around clean and unclean. Mm. And so sin made um, people unclean. Now, what's fascinating here was that the Pharisees would have someone who is lame or blind in the temple, but they weren't allowed to be a part of the worship. Because they're unclean. Because they're unclean, because mm. they were blind and they were lame, and they were there to remind the people that uh, you have to be clean. And these these people here were unclean. Terrible situation, isn't it? Mm. And so what Jesus does here, and this is fascinating, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that they had done, um, um, oh, just going back to back. verse 14, sorry. Okay, going back 14, to, yeah. Um, and those who were blind and those who limped came to him in the temple area and what did he do? He, he healed them. What message did that say? Because they, the lame and the blind were regarded as unclean, God accepts those who are unclean. Yeah. And he asked, he says, come as you are. Isn't that good news? Mm. Oh, I think that's terrific. And that was mm. an important message, which was totally opposite to what the Pharisees were saying because they were condemning the lame and the blind because they were unclean. And so Jesus was saying, you know, he's opening up the kingdom to all. We can all approach him. We can come boldly to the throne of grace and to receive that. And that's terrific, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's what it's all about. That's, what, that's what church is um, very much about. Now, just in the few minutes we've got left, um, what are the key sort of takeaway points that you'd like people to stick in their head? What's this got to do with buildings and foundations and all of that? Now, when, when Jesus came and cleansed the temple, he wanted to make this a house of prayer. Mm. We ourselves must have the right foundation. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. The church is a biblical thing and it's made up of people. Church is about worship, but it's also about building up the kingdom. God is dealing with the issue of sin. We need to deal with the issue of sin with God. And so when we come to him with a contrite spirit and a repentant attitude, God promises to forgive. We're all building something, but what are we building? Now, let me just share with you, uh, just in, in closing, a, a uh, very quickly, a, a, a newspaper article that was in the New York Times and it was written by Laurie Gottlieb, What Brand Is Your Therapist? And uh, therapists 20 or 30 years ago, people would come and they'd say, what do I need to change? Mm. You know, and, and what, What's wrong with me? <laughs> what's wrong with me, yeah, mm. which is a good thing because mm. it comes with an attitude, of, there's something I need to change. Mm. But you know what? That's it's not like that today. Mm. And uh, Laurie, what can I do to make others change? (laughs) That was what Laurie Gottlieb said in her article: was that people didn't want to change; they wanted the other person to change. And so, when we we often are driven by the need for love, the fear of shame, the pride of achievement, the drive for recognition, the yearning to feel important, to look attractive, the lust for power for romance, to feel secure, all these things people are driven by, mm. which is a foundation, the wrong foundation. 
we need to have the right sort of foundation. And when Jesus rearranged the furniture, there's some things that we may need to rearrange in our lives. And I'm wondering, in order for me to be a part of church and to worship and to give my heart to God, to walk with him, what furniture needs to be rearranged in our lives? Mm. We need to ask ourselves the question, what do I need to change or how do I need to change in order to um, participate and contribute in that environment? And when God is dealing with sin, which sin is in our lives. Sin's a dirty word today. We don't like that word. Mm. And because uh, we all like to think, I'm not too bad. Mm. I am okay. But sin has an unusual way of weaving in our lives that we don't detect. Mm. And we tend to push it away. We come with a repentant attitude and a contrite heart. I need to read that Psalm 51. Great psalm, that one. Mm, absolutely. We had uh, Margie text in uh, to our, answer our question today. Uh, she says, Morning, Jason and Mark. I attend the Monto Church in Queensland. I just love sharing my faith and learning with my Christian family. I can't always attend as the church is an hour north of us. And, of course, the uh, petrol's getting pretty expensive at the moment, so... That's understandable, but this is when I listen to Faith FM, Adventist TV, Hope Channel, or 3ABN. It's so wonderful to have such a lovely choice of programs to watch or listen to. We are very blessed to have the freedom of choice in Australia. Absolutely. Thanks, Margie, for texting in. Now, next week we have Afi Tuaoi joining us again, and he'll be continuing Hosea and the Heart of God. I don't know if you've thought about what you're going to be talking about in two weeks, Mark. No, that's all right. We'll uh, we'll surprise our listeners in two weeks' time with whatever you come up with. <laughs> uh, of course, tomorrow we've got uh, Peter Watts joining us. With uh, we're studying the Book of Daniel at the moment, and we're up to Daniel chapter three. So we do hope that you can join us there. There's uh, it's a fascinating book uh, of prophecies, and tomorrow we're going to be talking about. Uh, the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who were threatened to be thrown into the furnace. In fact, they were in, uh, thrown into the furnace. So we'll be talking about that tomorrow. Remember, our book offer today is uh, The Christ's Ambassadors. That's for you and for me. Uh, text in Encounter 17, Encounter 17 uh, to 0488 880891. Have a blessed day wherever you are. This is Anna Weatherup. Be there my vision, Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save at the Be thou my wisdom
Still be my vision, O ruler of all. Still be.